0: Well, good morning again. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here, and to our guests here today, welcome. We're glad to have you with us. If you'd like to find out more information about our church, or if you want to try to have coffee with me or a member of the staff, you can go to the back cover of your bulletin and this QR code here in the upper part. You can scan that. That will take you right to a place where you can uh, contact us if you'd like to do that or tell us some information about yourself. And also for our guests, we have that black Bible there in front of you. Uh, in the chair, and if you don't have a Bible at home, would you please take that Bible home with you? We'd love for you to have God's Word as our gift for you today. Um, today, as we walk through another part of our vision and values, we're kind of going to kind of be orbiting around uh, some verses in Philippians. Uh, it's found for you on page ten in your order of worship, and that chair Bible there in front of you it can be found on page nine twenty-two. Uh, but before we get to that, let me remind you of where we've been with our, our values and our vision. Let me throw this up here so you can re- be remembered, be reminded about where we've been. So our vision is a robust church, joyfully united to Jesus, our community, and each other. And it's become our new tradition to take the month of September and to review this with each other. So we live out this vision and the four values of live, grow, thrive, and... And go. So we've talked about live already, we did grow last week. Today we'll talk about thrive. and then next week, Donnie is going to walk us through the value of go. And the reason we do this, the reason vision is important is because the vision and our values show who we are because we have our beliefs, but how we live out those beliefs in many ways speaks more than what we say we believe. So if we're going to take Jesus to our community well, we want to make sure that we are showing and living out what we actually believe. The culture of our church actually reflects the doctrine of our church. And so to help us really get into this, I have four different books that go with the vision here. And these four books are listed there. Each book goes with one of the, the values. So this week we're under Thrive, and so the book is there in the lower right-hand corner. It's a book called Deeper by a, man, a PCA pastor named Dane Ortland. And now just to be clear here, do not buy all four of these books and work through them in a month like some sort of college class, okay? Yuck, don't do that. What I, what, what I have in mind instead is if one of these values piques your interest, grab that corresponding book and kind of work through it devotionally over the course of several weeks in your private devotions or whatever, and really chew on this aspect of what it means to walk in the gospel. If you want to take all four of these books and maybe take like six months to work through them, that would be great, and that would do you no harm and lots of good. Go for it. But don't try to cram through these just to get the information. Chew on them devotionally. So again, this week's book is Deeper by Dane Ortland. And before we jump into Thrive, let me remind you of where we've been. So last week we talked about grow. We reminded ourselves that we are in Christ that we have been brought to him by faith. We reminded ourselves that God is loving by nature. He's exuberant in his goodness, and that he is the kind of God who actually has to be provoked to anger because his default setting is goodness and kindness. He's always there. And we repented of basically creating this idol that, We project onto God our own disappointment in ourselves, and we assume God would treat us as we would treat us, and He doesn't. And so we repented of that to see God as He really is, to know viscerally how much God actually loves us. This week's value of Thrive is the fruit of that growth, actually living out what it means to have this kind of secure relationship from this kind of loving God, flourishing in God's grace, living an abundant life, even when it's full of heartache and difficulty. All right, so as we get into Thrive, uh, we're not there yet. You can take that down. Thank you. So as we get into Thrive, so here's how I want to think about this. We have doctrinal standards as a church. And so our doctrinal standards are what we believe, and one of them we have is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Most of you, many of you children have memorized this. Donnie is working his way through ordination right now. I could call on him and have him stand up and say this. I'm not going to, but that would be really fun, wouldn't it, to do that to him? <laughs> so anyway, I'm not going to do that. So the, the question is basically what are people for, or the way that they word it in the, using the you know, kind of archaic language is what is the chief end of man? And many of you could answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But here's the problem with that. In the Christian story, God made humanity and He gave them all of creation to frolic in and to have fun and to have joy. Just enjoy it all as a gift, save for this one little tree. Nothing special about it. It doesn't look more tantalizing. It's just, you know what? Stay away from that one. Have joy everywhere else. And Our original parents were fine with that. They rejoiced at how gracious God had been to make them and to plant them in this paradise, and they enjoyed all his good gifts until their minds were poisoned to all of a sudden separate this loving God from his instructions, and then all of a sudden they started to view this instruction as a negative denial instead of positive wisdom from a father. They began to view this as negative. That is actually the original sin in their heart from which the action then of taking the fruit came from. The truth of God as a loving, gracious father was exchanged for the lie of God as a cosmic policeman who's always looking to give you a ticket whenever you have fun. And why am I telling you that? Because of that action what is deep down inside of all of us, like deep in our firmware, like the default mode is we believe fundamentally that to glorify God could never ever be to enjoy Him because they're opposites. And so we memorize to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, and we don't believe a word of it deep down. Our value of thrive is specifically to counter this original heart sin. So now let me give you a definition of Thrive. Look with me here. Here's how I want to define Thrive. It's a confident joy of being in Jesus, living under the Father's smile, and having constant encouragement from the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's look at today's passage, where we're going to kind of orbit around today. It's Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 16. It's found on page 10 in your order of worship, and it's found on page 922 in that chair Bible. <clears throat> Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal, it, reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained this is God's Word. Would you pray with me? No, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before Your Word today, we pray that You would once again give us truth. Help us to see how beautiful and gracious and kind You are, opposed to the false image we often have of You. And Lord, based in that gracious, loving image, would You then show us how to walk in the fruit of that grace, living in joy, pray that you would do this, Father, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at this passage from the book of Philippians because the book of Philippians was written to a church that was struggling with legalism. So Paul comes in and just it keeps dumping the gospel on them because what legalism does, legalism whispers in so many subtle ways and in many non-subtle ways, it whispers, Jesus is not enough. You have to do something else, either your religious seriousness or either you're always feeling sad about your sins or either tithing or either going to this Bible study or either dressing this way or not dressing this way or engaging in this or not. It always adds something because it says Jesus alone is not enough. You've got to get some skin in the game. And so Paul over and over again in the book of Philippians is repeating himself saying, look, you are in Jesus by grace. And you are made more like Jesus by that same grace. And by this point, a little over halfway through the book, he's almost kind of frustrated. So kind of in verse 15, he kind of just very curtly says, look, this is how mature people think. And if you think something differently about that, well, God will also reveal that to you. Kind of a throwaway comment. What he means is he goes, well, if you look at my name tag, it says apostle. I don't think yours does. So God has told me what the truth is, and maybe you should listen to this, because this is mature Christianity. This is an adult faith, and what does he want us to see? What does the serious, rigorous adult faith have? First thing he says, we are favored to flourish. I want to look at the best part of this passage. I want to look at verse 12 again. Let's reread verse 12. It says this, not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on. To make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Literally there he says, I chase after to capture it because Jesus has captured me. Isn't that a great image? You've already been captured. Now it's your turn to chase after Jesus. Paul says, I'm chasing Jesus because he's already captured me. We pursue him because he pursued us first. We are in the gospel. We've placed our faith and trust in Jesus because he's grabbed us. And so now we get to join this joyful game. It's as if the image I have when I read this is Jesus walks up and says, oh, you're here, great, tag, you're it. And he takes off. What a beautiful, joyful privilege. Have you ever seen children play tag sad? Right? It's like smiles and running. It's great. It's adults who play it sad. It's like, oh, I don't want to move right now. See, this is not about salvation. This is not about getting into Jesus. This is about being in Jesus and now pursuing greater intimacy and fulfillment. This is walking. This is living in the gospel. And the next thing we see in verses 13 and 14, look with me there. What does Paul say? He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I love this. Paul says, I move forward, I press on, but first thing I do is I leave some things behind. He doesn't tell us what they are because he's forgetting them. But just about seven verses before this, Paul reminded them that he was a persecutor of the church, that he had Christians arrested, he had Christians tortured, he had Christians killed. And it was Paul's deep regret he carried most of his life. Later on in one of the books of Timothy, when he says, I'm the chief of sinners, he's not just making a theological comment on our total depravity. He's actually living in the fact that I used to persecute these people I now love so much. It was his major shame. It was his major regret. It's his baggage. But in Jesus, he gets to forget, he says. Oh, we all have baggage and regrets, don't we? It's like, here, welcome to earth, here's your baggage, right? If I can't forget my shame, if I can't let go of my past failures, I'm saying Jesus wasn't enough to forgive me. See, Christians, we take our shame, we take our regrets, and we put them at the foot of the cross. Christianity takes our shame very seriously. It doesn't say, oh, don't worry about that. It says, yes, worry about that. It took Christ's blood to forgive you of that. But now that you have Christ's blood, you're forgiven. Be free. Oh, if you carry around shame and regret in the gospel, you can be free. You can thrive in joy because by grace you could be forgiven and then given the power to forget. That's what Paul offers here. You know, true confession time, I have to admit, um, I used to be suspicious of Christians who were too joyful. I used to look at happy Christians, and I would think, they're not, they're not very serious about sin. I was already ordained. I should have been asked more questions in my ordination exams. <laughs> because when you get right down to it, I was the one who wasn't taking sin seriously when I thought that. And here's what I mean. Jesus tells a famous story about this. I want to read it to you. It's from Matthew 18, verses 23 through 33. Jesus tells this story. So Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Okay, for those who don't know what's going on, Peter has just walked up to him being like, like, how often do I have to forgive someone who messes up? And, And it's like the third time, if you read Matthew 18, that someone has come to Jesus and asked some sort of version of, Um, Jesus, what's the least I can do for God to be happy with me? So the third time here, Jesus is like, look, let me tell you a story which you never want Jesus to say to you. So Jesus tells this story starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. I don't have it up here yet. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. So the first servant comes for the master, and I did the math. I can show you my work if you need to see it. $4.8 billion is what he owed. Jesus purposely does something utterly extreme. It's impossible ever to pay back. It's impossible to rack up unless you're a government, right? So $4.8 billion forgives him. He goes to a fellow servant, $10,000, which is still a big deal. He was sinned against, right? This guy owed him a debt. I mean, how many of you could come up with $10,000 like right now? right? It's like, if you can, welcome to the 1%. We're glad you're here. Okay, so anyway, so, sorry, 5%, my bad. All right. The guy was like, $10,000, I'm going to throw you in prison for that because he really was not impacted by being forgiven of $4.8 billion. So he was a self-righteous jerk about the $10,000. And so too, when Reverend Sean Sawyer's was suspicious of Christians who were too happy. It's because I had not really been impacted by the $4.8 billion I had been forgiven. Because see, when you really get how much you've been forgiven, it demands joy. It, I cannot believe I've been forgiven of this. And you cannot help but forgive others because you've been forgiven so much. It is those overjoyed to be in Jesus. Jesus who actually get how serious their sin is. And such grace demands their joy. See, my lack of joy, my suspicion at other Christians' happiness meant a lot of things. The two that come to mind are, one, I really didn't get the gravity of my forgiveness, and two, I thought I had to add to Jesus my seriousness. See, I too was whispering to my own self, Jesus isn't enough. You gotta add some seriousness to this, you gotta add some somber to this, you gotta be grave. You're a Presbyterian pastor, be serious, quit smiling. Sin, total depravity. I wasn't taking sin seriously, actually. I thought my gravity could help overcome 4.8 billion in debt. How arrogant. Man, if that's you, you can grow out of that so you can thrive. Because we have been favored so we can flourish. The next thing we see here is that we're filled to flourish. I want to look at another passage from Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling or disputing means exactly what you think it does. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Paul comes to and says, hey, be shiny, happy people. Quit grumbling. Quit complaining. Be happy people. And he just says, do it. Just do it. He says, not only does this make you innocent and blameless before God, but you shine like the stars. Not just, you're so pretty. Okay, That may be part of it. But really what he's saying to that culture is navigational beacons. This is how you go somewhere. You navigate by the stars. So what is he saying? He says, thriving in God, being a joyful, happy people actually leads others to him. What a crazy thought, right? How great is that? So as most of you know, I came from church planting in the Boston area. And when we planted Boston North Presbyterian Church, Don't Google it. COVID destroyed it. It's not there. Anyway, when we planted that church, we had vision and values as well. And one of our values was recycle. And we did that because, one, there are things that churches do over and over again. And two, in a very secular community like ours that was very socially aware of certain things, that that was very relevant to them. Like my neighbors would Facebook shame people who didn't put their recycling bin out on the right day. Like, I mean, it, of course, it was always like backhanded. It always like, oh, there'd be a picture of them and their address and only their garbage can and no recycle bin. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so concerned about my neighbor. What should I do? I see that they're not recycling. Like, oh, wow, yeah, you're so concerned, I'm sure, right? But that's the culture we were in. So we like, we, well, we recycle too. What do we recycle? We worship, we pray, we serve, and we party. Those are our four recycling activities. And to a person... And I can tell by the many furrowed brows right now, people would always be like, hold up, did you say party? (laughs) Because I don't really associate like Christians and, you know, uh, fun. (laughs) And we've earned that. I know. But then I got to explain to them why it should be the case that we're the most yes. joyful, fun people around. and In a culture like ours that is so dogmatic that it doesn't just Facebook shame you for recycling, man, man. If you don't say the right things, if you don't signal the right virtues, you will be canceled. They assume the church is just like that. And we've kind of earned that. Okay, that's fair. But see, when we recognize the $4.8 billion in debt that our sins had, When we really recognize that, we go, oh, I'm the offensive one to God, not them. When you look yourself in the mirror as a Christian and you say, I am the difficult partner in Jesus' marriage, you can't help but having joy because he loves you and approves you and puts his grace on you anyway. He knew you were difficult to be married to, and he brought you into his relationship with him anyway. Jesus is not surprised that his bride is very recalcitrant and fickle. He loves us anyway. When you get that, you ha- cannot help but have joy and want to celebrate together the fact that we get that. Here's how Paul puts it in another place. There's no slide. I just want to read this to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul is praying for them, and he prays that the church would be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God, God's self uh, what can we call it, God's self-appreciation, God's self-satisfaction. He is completely full in and of himself. He's not insecure. He doesn't need the approval of others. He is perfectly happy without you. Wow, wouldn't you love to be that person, right? Of that, God gives us is what Paul prays. God pr- Paul prays that fallen, faltering, fa- flawed, failed people like us could be filled with all the fullness of God. It gets even crazier. Look at me at Colossians chapter 2, 9 and 10. It says this, for in him, being Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him. See, because we are in Jesus who has all this fullness, we participate in his divine fullness. And this is something we receive by faith. We don't attain this. What a beautiful thought. That we get to participate in the very self satisfactory life of God Himself because of our union with Christ. And as we saw last week, this is not some sort of gift that God the Father gives begrudgingly, like, fine, Jesus earned it, you can have it. He's overjoyed to give us of His fullness. He delights to fill us up with Himself. He wants us to flourish in joy, not wallow in shame, not wallow in regret. Forgetting what lies behind, we press on. That's thrive. So the book for this value is a book called Deeper by Dane Ortlund. I want to share with you one quote from that book to maybe whet your appetite to get it and read it. Here's what he says. He goes, That thing about you that makes you wince m- most only strengthens his delight in embracing you. At your point of deepest shame and regret, that's where, where Christ loves you the most. If we are united to Jesus Christ, our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Though our sins will make us more miserable, they cause his love to surge forward all the more. What a beautiful Savior. And when you get this into your heart, you'll thrive under this kind of grace. Because the gospel sets us free. You've been filled in Jesus so you can flourish. the third thing we see here is thriving together. You will not thrive alone, period. Look at me, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says this, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice it doesn't say not neglecting to meet together, but make sure you meet together. What does it say? It says not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. The synonym, the purpose of meeting together is is for our mutual encouragement. We're supposed to come together for encouragement. This is why virtual church doesn't exist. It's not a thing. It was always a band-aid. It was never a replacement for the real deal. And those of you who are shut-ins and watching from home right now, we miss you so much. We long for the day that you could be back with us as an encouragement and we can encourage you. Because we're meant to be together. And notice how he says there all the more because there's this natural tendency for our love for each other to grow cold, for us to kind of just get meh about things and to isolate ourselves. He says, no, you keep thriving together. Then I love what he says This verse calls for, it says, stirring up one another. That's a very nice way to put a verb that means to provoke or to poke. Isn't that great? Mm -mm. I just love that picture of that. We're supposed to provoke each other towards love and good works. So get out there and start poking and provoking each other to love and good works in Jesus. Because a bunch of thriving Christians manifests gospel culture. Alright, what is gospel culture? Let me do this very quickly. I want you to understand what this is like. Maybe this will help you. This helped me. I want to show a slide here real quick. I want to walk through it. So, all right, so we have gospel culture on one side, we got anti-gospel culture on the other. Here's how it works. So, from the perspective of me, let's look at gospel culture. When I see good in you, I honor you. When I see the good of God in you, I honor you, I encourage you. When I see the good of God in me, it makes me humble that a sinner such as me has, is reflecting anything of God. When I see bad in you in a gospel culture, I forgive you. When I see bad in me in a gospel culture, I have honesty about it, I walk in the light with brothers and sisters and find repentance. Now, in an anti-gospel culture or maybe a gospel challenge culture, when I see good in you, I have envy. When I see good in me, I have pride. When I see bad in you, I resent you for your failures judge you. When I see bad in me, I hide. I put up that big religious veneer and start acting very proper so you don't ever look behind at my ugly. I can't let you see the real me. See, a group of thriving Christians comes together and says, we know our default is to envy, pride, resent, and hide. and So we want to come together and thrive together so we can honor and be humble and forgive and walk in honesty. You will not do this alone. So here are some practical steps. First of all, community groups. If you're in a community group, awesome. If you're not in a community group, not awesome. Okay? You need to be in a community group. Seriously, I'm just going to say it. You need to be in a community group. So what I want you to do is you can turn to the back cover, this QR code right here. You take out your, your, your handy-dandy smartphone, you scan that, you go to the survey, and you fill out the survey. Okay, Who should fill this survey out? If you can hear me, fill the survey out. Okay, that way when we have our sign-ups which are coming in a month, this is not a sign-up. Our sign-ups are coming in a month. We have some data to actually know what kind of community groups will best serve y'all. We have all sorts of groups that meet throughout the church throughout the week. We're we're, uh, restarting our Pints and Briar men's group. It's going to meet out at the fire pit this Saturday night, get together. We're just going to have some fun, have some snacks, have some beverages, just enjoy each other's presence. And it's a secret. Don't tell anybody. We're actually going to start doing some of this gospel culture stuff, and we're going to start doing some specific encouragement and honoring of each other. So bring a chair and come do that with us. We also have Bible studies for women throughout the week. We have Bible studies for men throughout the week we actually just started our first meeting of we lamely called it like the debate club or maybe the sycamore theological society we need someone who's cooler than us to come help us get a cooler name but it's just a bunch of us who get together at the fire pit and we just argue the only rule is don't be a jerk and it's fun you should come we have fellowship times that meet throughout the week different times Some organically get together, some are official. There's tons of stuff for you to do with other Christians. Because here's why. God builds up his people in public worship. In this room, it's sacred time. It's sacred space. God has promised that my spirit is present in a special way. And that so from the call to worship to the benediction, this is where discipleship happens primarily. The Bible studies, the Sunday schools, everything else, those are icing. This is the cake. So as far as our values go, you will live and you will grow in this room. You will thrive and you will go outside of this room. So if you want to thrive, if you want to live in joy, you can't do it by yourself. You need to be part of other groups. You will thrive together because the church is the glorious picture of Jesus and all of those in him. We thrive together. All right, let's wrap this up. So at the very beginning, we saw that Jesus chased after us He voluntarily and with joy, when we didn't want to play with Him, He chased us down and captured us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible says. And in His resurrection, Jesus defeats death. And He offers to us new and overflowing life in Him, receiving of God's fullness when we place our faith and trust in Him as the resurrected Lord. Oh, in the gospel... God invites us to participate in the very life of Jesus, just as in a few moments in this table we're invited to participate in his death. Oh, Christian, do you want to thrive? You want to walk with intense, visceral joy? Then rest your heart in the confident joy of being in Jesus, of living under the Father's smile, and of having the constant encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And non-Christians here today, do you want to be free from shame? Do you want to be free from regret? Do you want to walk with actual joy in your life and not have to fake it? That's what's offered here. Now, you should want this gospel to be true. So make it your own, because it is true. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, and you can do it right now. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, oh, Lord God, would you forgive us Christians for thinking the worst of you, for projecting our own disappointment with ourselves onto you and assuming that you would treat us like we would treat us. And instead, Father, would you help us once again in that repentance to see you as you are, as a God who is gracious and merciful, overflowing with goodness and kindness, ready to burst with mercy. Would you help us to walk in the joyful fruit of being your children? And Lord, we pray here today for those who do not know you, that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, shown to be crucified for sinners and raised for new life, that you would once again do your work of drawing people to yourself. Lord, would you cause many to repent and believe your gospel, even now that your kingdom would come and your will would be done right here as it is in heaven. We pray this, Father, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.